Hi, this is Father Andrew, and you're listening to the All Souls Catechesis podcast. This year, our theme is Signs of Life, Reflections on Hope, and we're going to be hearing from members of our community about where they found hope in this last year. Uh, today, we have with us Rich Baker. Um, Rich, for those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, when you said that uh, my connection with All Souls begins, my proudest moments are when I was a third to fifth grade teacher. And <laughs> I've talked a little bit about that, but connecting with so many of our kids, and they're still my kids, by the way. I just, I watch them in church. I listen for where they're at and everything like that. But um, uh, Mary and I started All Souls in in about 2009. Um, It's been a wonderful place. Uh, um, The beauty and the art has been something that's been very, very significant to us. And the, um, the liturgy, is just overwhelming. I, I think probably everybody who will be on your podcast hmm. will probably say the same thing. Yeah. Uh, what a gift we've been handed in terms of the beauty. Uh, you know, uh, the gospel is beautiful. Hmm. Um, I love what the, uh, I work with Chinese students and, and um, I remember one Chinese student saying those beautiful words. I heard those beautiful words and, and um, that's our liturgy. Yeah. Uh, and so a little bit about us. I, I'm a, uh, an attorney. I have a practice where we are very open about our faith and probably about 80% of our clients are believers or not-for-profit corporations doing that kind of work. And um, I wrote on my application for law school, and it's also on my website, uh, why I'm a lawyer. It's to serve the kingdom of God. Hmm. That's been our hope. And um, I'm sure a lot of criticism could ma- be made about that, but that's where we're hope. That's where we're aiming. I don't know how else to say it. And in the interim, and you were talking about this before, you know, there were a lot of times I'd come home and my wife would kind of wonder, well, don't lawyers make a lot more money and things like that. <laughs> but it, uh, I've loved who I've worked with. Um, I worked with uh, all souls when they incorporated in the beginning. I, mm. I um, getting us incorporated in the very start and all those kinds of things. So that's a little bit of background. You know, I, I remember the first time, the first memory I have of you is at the, the EMEA winter conference in Dallas, Texas. I remember that. Uh, I think it was January would have been 2008. So maybe it was, maybe it was before you guys had kind of fully stepped in at all souls, but I remember (laughs) it's funny because my memory is that you bought me a beer and I was like, I like this guy. He bought me a beer. Well, you know, it's a conversation, but like that's, that was my memory of it. No. And, and you and I were actually talking about this earlier too, about there are many memories that aren't content, but feeling. Yeah. And there, and there was, a and it's like my Sunday school teacher when I was in mm-hmm. fifth grade, I knew the love of Jesus and I can't remember why, but every time I think about her, it's just there, there's that memory. Um, it's interesting that, so with regard to beer, when um, uh, we had we had, we have six kids, so when we'd had about our second kid, Mary and I both come from families with alcoholic backgrounds. So hmm. Mary said to me on Valentine's Day, we were out for dinner. She said, "I'm going to stop drinking." This was in the early '80s, and I looked at her and I said, "Okay, if you're going to stop, I'm going to stop." So probably for the next 20 years, neither of us drank, and then the kids grew up. And Mary goes, "I'm going to start drinking." <laughs> 
And at, at first it took me, I'm, I'm slow to change. So it took me a little bit, but um, first I started drinking when we were in foreign countries, not in the United States. Okay. Um, and then, and then it was weekends. Yeah. <laughs> now it's every night at dinner. So uh, yeah, you guys have our, donated many a, a fine bottle of wine to youth uh, raffle mission trip raffle things, which we've been. I, I always think that's hilarious because we were teetotalers for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, but it is so right. Not to dive down this too much, but it really is. My memory of that is not like, not that I was like a, a burgeoning alcoholic at 22, but that, but that when you're, when you're in your early twenties, you, you're kind of just starting out. Joe and I are just married. You don't have a lot of extra money. And so like six bucks for buying a beer, that's more than you typically spend oh, on a drink. And for someone so, to come up and so, say, I'm going to buy you a drink. There's something about, there's like stepping in and caring for somewhere, someone else. There's a lot. There was a lot in "Let Me Buy You a Drink" that yeah, that know, meant a lot to me in that moment. I I didn't know that I'm I, I'm you know, but that's a lesson for all of us all the time. Yeah, we can have an influence far beyond anything we ever realized with a small gesture like that. For for me to do that to you, what I'm saying to you is is I really respect you. Mm -hmm. Let's let's that, that's what I that's what I'm saying in that is. Um, let's take time together. I really respect you and, and, and let's do this. Yeah. So, uh, so inter interesting, but that's for yeah. all is just loving people and very simple. <laughs> like, I'll buy you a beer. Yeah. Okay. Andrew, I got it. This is off our topic, but I've got it. You know, what brings me hope you raise that. And let me just tell you two things now, now you're going to deal deeply with my inner uh, weaknesses at this point. So here we go. Um, I tend to lose a lot of things. So I should be Catholic and, and then have the patron saint who finds everything for you. <laughs> I just pray to Jesus. And But so in December, I lost my coffee mug on the train. And at the same time, I lost my cell phone on the train. And what I've, and I've lost my computer on the train. And I can't tell you how many things I've lost. But lately, it's been increasing. So I'd lost my cell phone in December and I got, uh, it was gone long enough that I actually got a new cell phone. And then of course the old one returned because, uh, well, and I'll go into that in a second, but then the second time in uh, about two weeks ago, I lost my wallet. Have you ever lost your wallet? Yes. It is a horrible feeling. It, well, it's really, you don't have any ID. You can't charge anything. And I never carry money and, and your tickets for the train are gone and just everything. So, um, in, in these two situations, the, I, um, I always get them back. I always do. Now my wallet had a very large, a check for a very large amount of money that my firm had reimbursed me for all of my insurance for the previous year. Hmm. There was a check in there for a very large amount. There was about $90 in there, all my charge cards, everything else. Um, and the, and the wallet's gone. And I just prayed and I said, and, and I said, Lord, I don't want to tempt you, but I need my wallet. Can I please bring it back? And, and he brought back the, the cell phone, you know, just all that kind of stuff. So, so I prayed and, and uh, then I checked in with the um, lost and found every day. Mm -hmm. They all know me by first name now. So, so nope, it's not here. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta know when you call lost and found, it's usually an answering machine and they're usually not there. And even if they're there, they don't answer the phone and all those kinds of things. Well, I've gotten through all that. I, I know. <laughs> you, you know how to work the system. I really do. So, 
so I call and, and, you know, no, Mr. Baker, nothing's coming in next day. No, Mr. Baker, nothing's coming in. And so I call on Friday. Uh, it's been gone for three days and I call on Friday and, and the lady get her answering machine, but she actually calls me back at two 30 after they're closed. And she says, mm-hmm. Mr. Baker, nothing's coming in. And then I get, I go, okay, well, thanks for calling. And I get a call at three o'clock and it's a, it's a executive from Metra. And, and the executive says, I got your wallet. How do I get it back to you? And, and then he called, I talked to him three or four times on the phone because he kept worrying about my wallet and how to get it back. And then he gave me the story. He says, well, I left my phone at the end of the line uh, when I was in the office. So I had to go back and get it. And then I was walking past lost and found and something in my head said, look in there. Hmm. And so He's not in charge of lost and found. He doesn't, but he looked in there and saw my wallet. And then he called me and he was even willing to drive out to Wheaton to drop it off. We found another way to do it. But the reason I tell these stories is I get all these very personal experiences with people. And that gives me an incredible amount of hope. The amount of integrity and honesty at the local level with so many of these, they can be executives or blue collars. Mm -hmm. Uh, it doesn't matter. I, and I get so encouraged um, in these experiences with people. There, there, one other story I just have to tell you, the, the security guard in our office or, or in our office building, when you walk in the door, she's a very short woman, um, uh, not highly educated from the west side of Chicago, lovely person named Diane. And years ago, Diane was really down. And I walked by and I said, Diane, what's the matter? And she just said this. And I said, well, let's pray. Mm-hmm. And she I mean, she goes, Mr. Baker, I don't know how to pray. And I looked at her and I said, Diane, it's not hard. <laughs> All you got to do is talk to God. So, so every day after that, we pray together. And so the other day I'm walking in and Di- I'm talking to Diane and she says, guess what? And I said, what? She says, well, there's a lady in the restaurant over there and, and we all go into that restaurant every day. And, and so she was in there and the lady was crying. And so she went up to her and said, what's the matter? And she told her. And so Diane said, well, let's pray mm-hmm. to see things like that. And yeah. <laughs> those bring, they're small, they're individualized, but they bring a great deal of hope to me when I see um, that kind of reaction in just lots and lots of different people from lots of different areas. So um, for me, that's one of the areas that has been incredibly hopeful and helpful is, is, um, random acts of kindness, I guess, like by yeah. ear or seeing these other things that they're a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but that wasn't what we signed up, signed you up for though. It is not. It was so, completely off the, off the wall, but this is a good um, little bonus track for the, for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and you can cut it out if you need to do it. It's quite all right. No, so, we don't, we don't cut anything out. It's all, all right. There, there we go. All right. So, so the question is during Advent, what had brought me hope at least yeah what I was up for. And it, it came in a really surprising place. First of all, Laura's sermon, probably into the second week of Advent, I don't know, she might've been the first, mm-hmm. but she really um, nicked my paradigm in terms of what Christmas is all about. Mm-hmm. And, and so Christmas, we so often focus on the baby Jesus and the coming, the first coming of Jesus. And that's very tangible. I mean, I get a baby and I get all these things and, yeah. and camels and, and 
you know, they're tangible and you can see them and you can hold them in a way. But she said, that's not what Advent is. Ad, it's not, and tons of presents under the tree and lights and thousand parties and all these things. She says, no, Advent is waiting. For what? Well, it was waiting for the first time the Messiah came. But now Advent is waiting for the second coming. And that really struck me because that's not part of my paradigm of Christmas. Hmm. Also, the second coming is sort of ethereal to me. So I, it, it, it's very hard to get my hands around it. So she had challenged me in this. And I thought, well, what do I do with that? I, it, it's, a con, it's like a glass ceiling and I can't get above it. And I, yeah. I don't know what to do. Um, but our readings in the uh, lexicon every day for, for uh, Christmas or for Advent are Revelation, the book mm-hmm. of Revelation. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to take a crack at this. It's a very scary book. And, and you know, what do you do with it? Um, right. Yeah. So, but I decided, nope, I'm going to read the whole thing. And, and I'm going to think about it in terms of coming. Now, I haven't heard Bruce's... Um, podcast yet on on the scriptures and and his interaction with them and everything like that. But I am more of a literalist. I believe it's true. I just don't know how to process or handle it or or how to how to work with it. So I read Revelation and I became very, very impressed with the importance of the second coming in a way that I hadn't. Um, and, And I'll get into that. But one of the early readings that wasn't revelation that we had was Isaiah 41. I don't know whether you know Isaiah 41 or not. I mean, whether that right away brings to you. I, now you're putting me on the spot. I gotta, yeah. Yeah. Gotta, preacher. What is it? Huh? I, I so, cannot tell you off the, off the top of my uh, head what Isaiah 41 is. When, when I say it, you'll know it. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall up with wings. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. And if you're singing the song, it goes, uh, so teach me, Lord, to wait. So I'm, I'm reading in, in our daily readings, and I'm reading out of the um, New International, not the King James, which is the one I just gave you. Um, and it doesn't say that. It says, they that hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. And I thought, I read that and I went, wait a minute. It's wait, it's not hope. And I said, then what's the connection between wait and hope? And I began to work with that all through Advent. Now the word, and I looked at probably 20 translations or whatever, because now on the computer, you can pick it up and do everything. What it really ends up being, the word is translated expectantly hope for or expectantly wait. So it's, it's more than waiting, which can be, you know, when you're waiting for a train and it's an hour late, you're, that's an awful thing. There's a hope in it. So it is they that hope upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Um, but it's also a waiting. And, and, it's, and we're in this time of now, but not yet. And we all talk about that a lot, but it's a very difficult time to be in. Um, mm-hmm. How do you live in the now, but not yet? Um, do I sell all my possessions right now? Um, yeah. I mean, how do I? 
I got a baby. Do do I sell my possessions? I don't have any milk for my baby. Or what do you do? So, uh, uh, what do we yeah. do? Jesus's sayings. How do we how do we live those out uh, in this crazy middle time of the King has come, but His coming is hidden right now. Um, and so, so I'm, I'm working with they that hope on the Lord, and I'm thinking about the second coming. And now the second coming is becoming something other than just, you know, um, some theological thing about post-tribulation or pre right. right or all those things. It's actually, I, I've been trying to memorize Ephesians for a number of years, okay? My goal all six chapters, just like that. Mm-hmm. And I get about three of them done and it's all gone. <laughs> but but I don't despair and I don't despair because I don't mind working on it again because Ephesians is so over my head that, that I keep going over these concepts. But Ephesians says things like, um, they're heirs together of the promise in Christ. What's the promise? What is that? Or um, it'll start out and it'll say um, something like uh, the fullness of time when Christ will come and put all things in heaven and earth under his feet. And then it'll throw in something like for the church. And I go, boy, I'm looking at all souls right now and we're the church. Yeah. What, what, what do we do? Um, and, and I'm reading these. But all of a sudden in Advent, with the focus of the coming and reading in Ephesians with God has this incredible plan that he is enacting and bringing forth. Um, The short-term problems and injustices and all these kinds of things began to be put in a context, hope that you, I think Paul writes in Romans, hope that you already have is not hope. Mm-hmm. We have it. So what is it that we're to be focused on? Where is our hope to be? And for me, all of a sudden, Laura's sermon began to launch me into the return of the Messiah and the ordering of our universe, which is so disordered at this point. Now, Mary and I were having a conversation on this. And one of the things, you know, we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. But if you read Revelation, there's a war going on in heaven. It's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also a war here. And, and the reason I mention that is so I'm, I'm working with the dissonance and the injustice and the brokenness of now and trying to figure out how does that fit in to this hope that's much, much bigger. And frankly, Americans aren't very good at this. Um, others who have nothing actually are much better at understanding, I think, lots of the scriptures than we are. Because hope is real to them, and they need it. For for me, I have most of my needs met, so yeah, I need to hope. So um, I have an incredibly trivial... <laughs> example in my head which is as you were talking about like eagerly waiting I yes. thought about I, I thought about my my main experience of waiting right now is is 
waiting for my Amazon packages to arrive at my house. And occasionally I will buy things from other places, from other sources that don't give me tracking numbers. And so I sit oh. there and I've bought a package and it is coming one day. And I sit there and like a, we've got our, our front window, our, our living room has a front window that sort of looks out. It, I, I've ever, been to your house. I know your house. If you ever drive past our house, you'll always be able to see what everybody is doing because it's just, the, you just right. see our living room perfectly. Um, and then when people walk to our front door, we have to pretend like we can't obviously see them walking around to our front door. It's a very, in that sense, it's very awkward. But the nice thing is I'm always like watching when the mail truck comes by and I'm just like sitting, eating my breakfast, staring at the mail guy, seeing if he's going to bring something. <laughs> um, but there is something about, you, you mentioned as Americans, we're bad at it because we do have all of our needs met. Convenience is incredibly apparent. <laughs> you don't, you don't order things you don't you know mu new music comes out you don't even have to go to the store to buy the cd i just pull out my phone the day it comes out and i can listen to it right then right um, we're not good at waiting because we've been we've been trained to not to see waiting as a flaw and a failure right like if i have to wait something has gone wrong the right. system right. has not reached max maximum efficiency right um the so for us, there needs to be a real change somehow. And, and, and so, and I don't want to go into a lot of this tonight uh, in terms of what that second coming looks like, mm -hmm. but um, Tolkien put it this way for the church. Uh, it's a long descent. And if you read the apocalypse, and, and by that I would be referring to primarily Revelation, um, Hebrews, and Acts, the, the direction for the believers at the, in the end times are not positive in terms of easy and everything getting better. Mm -hmm. Actually, a world system um, arrayed against the church to try to silence it. So, so... For those who know that, the second coming becomes a tremendous hope. And I believe the early church, with the entire Roman uh, Empire arrayed against them, really saw it that way. That uh, and they awaited the coming of their Savior in, in a way that we haven't. Um, but it's all Laura's fault. She opened <laughs> beginning to think about this. And, and as I read apocalyptic literature and said, why is this hopeful? Um, and what is the promise? Um, it, that is really, really an amazing thing. The, the second thing in those, in those readings, uh, so I'm reading now in Revelation, and I get to Revelation 2 and 3, which is the seven churches. Mm -hmm. And the third church, okay, and so I'm going to quiz your Bible knowledge again. The third church is Ephesus. Ephesus. So what did God speak to, uh, what did the angels speak to Ephesus? Oh, I'm not going to be able to tell you that. Okay, I'm surprised, um, but uh, I did go to Moody Bible Institute. But all right, but you know. and, and again, when I say it, you'll know it. Um, I have this against you: you've lost your first love. Now, that's how I just told you that, but that's not actually what it says. That's what I've always thought it said. It actually says, "You have forsaken." your first love. There's a difference between losing, which I do with my wallet and my computer and 
my phone all the time mm -hmm. and throwing it away. Um, one's intentional, one is not. And so with the Ephesians, there was by their choices, they were intentionally losing that relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that struck me very, very, very deeply. And I thought, how are the ways that I'm living and the things that I'm believing and the things that I'm doing, how are they an intentional thing that is separating me from that deep love and relationship with Jesus? So I'm working on that issue very, very, um, very much right now, trying, trying to really intentionally rekindle that first love by really giving God priority and believing him, actually. Um, uh, I, I don't think I want to go into the Enneagram and all those things <laughs> that we were discussing before about believing in him, but, but really that, that coming back to a place of really making him that priority. Um, mm. And, I, and I, I believe this is really true. All of us in this culture are being cynicized. Oh, you can't believe that. That couldn't be really true. Yeah. And, you know, science proves that this is wrong. And, you know, on and on and on. It's, it's, we're assaulted with it. And many times, I think it cuts us off from that simple relationship with God. We had a, um, when I was growing up, my grandfather, this was his house. And he was about, oh, 89, 91, 92. And uh, one day he was up in his room. Uh, was a very prominent, famous, or not famous, but very prominent uh, lawyer in a very large law firm here in Chicago. Now he's an old man and he's, he's um, somewhat senile uh, and his powers are greatly weakened. And he's up in his room and he's alone now because his wife has died and he's crying. And we had a cleaning lady named Ida Mae Watkins. And Ida Mae Watkins never got past third grade. And, but so Ida Mae walks up to this this man who said his prayers in Latin every night, that's how well he was trained. Hmm. Uh, and um, she said, Walter, what's the matter? And, and with her, with her Alabama accent mm -hmm. and, and he looked at her and was a little startled. And then he explained a little bit and she looked at him and she says, Walter, let's take it to Jesus. And her, in her simplicity, she cut through all that stuff and brought him right back. Yeah. And it's, you know, we were talking about it uh, beforehand, just this idea that platitudes, like we all encounter platitudes and, and what we consider cliches. And there's almost this, like, it comes out on the other side where people who haven't, people who haven't taken tough things to Jesus can say, oh, just take it to Jesus in a way that doesn't ring true, right? Like, you don't know what I'm going through. But, but when there's someone who you can tell they have depth to them, that they have, yeah. that they have experience, that they have, that when they say, take it to Jesus, they're not, they're not being simplistic. They're saying it because they've gone through the deep waters and they've experienced it themselves. And, and right? my, and my grandfather knew that. Yeah. And went to Jesus with her. So she didn't have all the credentials except for that credential of depth that you've just mentioned mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and it cut through everything. So yeah, that's the second one is um, you have forsaken your first love. What is our first love? It's Jesus. And it's a relationship that's real 
and, and dynamic and really happening. But if we're so busy, and, and I am, that I don't have room for that, that I'm by my choices and by my by actions, I'm forsaking that relationship. Um, and it, it will have a cost. So, so that was the, first, the second thing that the Lord had really spoken to me. Um, can I just, can I please, go please. back to the, the thing you said about cynicism? It's funny. I feel like kind of around these ideas of, of cliches and things like that. I, for, for me, the thing that it's easy or it's tempting to be cynical of is, um, I have this gut reaction to over-spiritualizing things. Like we're just talking and you're making this a spiritual thing. I, I just had a, a pretty significant sort of impasse with some friends. Um, uh, and, and one of the guys, you know, said, said, you know, Hey, when I, when I encounter things like this, I think everybody needs to stop and say, you know, maybe God's doing something different. Um, and the other guy sort of said like, you know, no, that's not how it is. <laughs> he, his perspective was like, you're over spiritualizing something that that's just uh, like normal human conflict. And um, I, I don't know my, not even to, to comment on, what was going on there there's a sense where i i have this dualistic view of the world of the natural yeah. and the supernatural as separate yep. spheres and so I, I almost you know when people ask me to pray about things my dad always said this to me we'd have an argument about something when i was a teenager and he'd always be like well have you prayed about it and i'd get so mad at him because right, right. we're, we're not talking about something that i that i have to have proven my credentials of praying for ahead of time right but but and this is my understanding of um, there's a, a, a sort of philosophy book that a lot of people reference. Um, Charles Taylor's A Secular Age, I think is the title. I read James K.A. Smith's summary of it because secular age is really, really long. <laughs> but uh, James K.A. Smith did a, a summary of it. And he sort of goes over the ideas. And at least one of the big ideas is that um, we no longer believe in a porous world where the supernatural and the natural are sort of next to each other, right? Like the on earth as it is in heaven, isn't these separate spheres totally apart, but that they're, they're immediately next to each other, like just on the other side of the veil. And I'm the cynicism that I need to get over is one, the cynicism that allows for a porous world where, where God is active, where, where the world is enchanted, I think is Taylor's world. I, I, I'm uh, totally with you. And that's where I'm wanting to return mm -hmm. um, is that's a biblical view. Yeah. That the, and, and maybe the Bible is really true. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, wow. Uh, um, to, to really, so again, we're back to your cliches that all of a sudden become very deep. Yeah have you prayed about it actually is a really, really deep question, but you know, but it also, we, we've, we've treated it, but I think we're all um, enchanted and disenchanted. Mm -hmm. Same time. The we're under an enchantment, but that enchantment is disenchantment. Hmm. Yeah. So that, so that the, we're all reading the Bible with this disenchantment lens, like don't over spiritualize. You know what? Um, I think, I think God is in, I really, I really, really believe that God returned my phone. Mm -hmm. I, I do not think that was, that was just, it happened. Um, and the, and I guess my, my proof of it is it just happens so often. <laughs> <laughs> the odds are against it. And, and, and uh, 
you know, you could be cynical about that, but, but what if God really does care about us as an involved intimately in our lives? Um, it's often hidden, but that's where faith begins to come in. If he says he is, then we need to take that, that word seriously. So um, part of coming back to my first love is that enchantment of, you know what? God has given me his Holy Spirit. He really does talk and work with me and he really does love me. And, yeah. and so, so that was the second one um, as we were reading in them. And then the third one uh, that really, really is working in me very, very deeply is if this is true and Christ is returning, how am I using my time now? And, and I keep coming back to the question of um, calling. Mm-hmm. My, my real belief, in the, and uh, this comes from Ephesians, I think it's 110. Um, for you are, Christ, you, you are um, uh, I think it's Christ's workmanship created. In, no, for you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus uh, for good works, which you prepared before uh, in advance for you to do. So, I really believe I've got a call and I believe you do too. And, and I believe mm-hmm. all of us. And so my question becomes, what is that Lord? What is that now? The, the reason that came up was because I'm reading in revelation again. And he said this thing to um, one of the churches. Uh, I see if I have it here. Um, Sardis. And to the church, the church of Sardis, he says, wake up. Strengthen what remains, and it's a uh, for it's about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of the Lord, and that I have not found your deeds complete. They didn't finish what they were called to do, and that to me has become a very, very real thing about in these times, and and they are desperate times. Um, we have a culture that is very, very. Uh, unappreciative, and I would say more than that, hostile toward many of the things of God and to mm-hmm. the of God himself now, because we are um, autonomous. And, and to say that, they're, that we're dependent on someone else or anything like that um, is offensive, very offensive. Um, and so in these times, I'm thinking more and more about how do I be faithful? But to be faithful, you have to know what you've been called to do. Um, I get freaked out with uh, because I'm in law and I'm fighting in the area of religious freedom and all those kinds of things. And I mm-hmm. see all the, the case law and the directions it's going. Sometimes I get very, very um, frightened to the point where I'm not sleeping at night. And uh, so of recent, one of the things that I've begun to do is I believe I can't handle all this. I just it's too much. For me. I can't control it. Mm-hmm. Not going the way I hoped it would go. Um, I'm fearful that our um, freedoms and, and our faith are um, being challenged in ways that are, that are, um, will prevent us from being able to live out and preach the gospel in, in our culture openly. And so what I can't do anything about it. I mean, I can take on some law cases. I can do this and that, but I can't change the direction of our culture. And so I've been crying out to God about that. And and what he's brought to me in this is you're not responsible 
for all of that. But I have given you a calling and you are responsible for that calling. And so I see it like in Nehemiah's time when they were building the wall, each, each person had their little section of the wall that they had to build. Mm-hmm. And they had their sword or their spear or whatever. Sure. But all they're responsible for is their section. And when I break it down and ask God, what is my section? What am I supposed to do? And then, and then try to do that. That's, that's what I'm working with right now. And, and it's much more livable than trying to save the world. It's, yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it's a you great know, we're, relief. We're, we're all utilitarians these days, right? We're all thinking about the ends and thinking, what means do I need? Like, and, and we're all tempted being 21st century Americans to it, to constantly assume we know the good ends and then figure out, start to kind of justify the means to get to those ends. Right, right. But I, but what you're saying almost sounds like, no, the, the ends don't matter. At all. Only the means matter. Only your individual faithfulness matters. Focus way more on the means and let the ends take care of themselves. But, but your job is to be faithful in an entirely unpragmatic gospel, right? Like, like it Jesus is. gives us lots of very, very ineffective, inefficient commandments. Um, uh, oh, you, yes. <laughs> uh, um, and okay, so uh, just just two when you say that, and obviously this this touches on something that you and I, you know, some of your sermons from the pulpit have driven me crazy. Um, <laughs> And I love you and I'm listening because I don't know everything. And you know what? Sometimes you're preaching into my blind spots and I don't want to hear them. Um, but one of them, so I'm reading in, in a, a Christian Legal Society, their, their publication about, Marx, about Marxism and, and particularly about um, critical theory. Mm-hmm. And I read all about critical theory and, and I know it and, and I know parts of it and stuff like that. It's a very amorphous thing. I mean, there's all kinds of different ways to look at it. Right. Or like postmodernism, it's very amorphous. But then he compares it to Christianity, and when he gets done with Christianity, I said, "Oh yuck! I want to be a Marxist. I don't want to be a Christian." <laughs> I really did, and 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 it left me completely empty. And I thought, because what was the answer for Christianity? We're waiting for our Savior to come, which, by the way, is the second coming. Yeah. And all of a sudden. And I didn't like that answer. I want to do, I want to make, I want to change. I want all these things. And the, and the answer, Christian answer, seems so weak, waiting. God does it. Yeah. No. And, all, and, and, and that's not my nature. That's not how we think in American culture, all that kind of stuff. But that's why um, Laura's sermon so challenged me when she brought me to the second coming is Mm -hmm. that's our hope that and we're waiting for it and expectantly not like "Ah, i might come but come lord jesus come so that those are so then my question is here now i'm not going to save the world but god has prepared good works for me in advance maybe one of them was buying you a beer by the way i'm not right say that uh, little things, they're not huge. Um, but yeah, so, so that's where Advent has been working and hope has been working in me. I, I think that's my summary right there. Yeah. And it's, you know, the, 
I remember part of Lauren, Laura's sermon was, was the encouragement that sort of you live into the not yet, right? Like you, you, you do the things that you yeah. know are the, the things that God would want you to do. I think I, you know, that idea of like, you behave as if things, things have arrived. Um, and that is a weak position because again, it opens you up to, I mean, all of, all of Jesus's commandments put you in a position of weakness. They don't put you in a position of leveraging strength. They all put you in a vulnerable place. They do because you have to rely on him. I, I, and that's why when I compared Marxism and, and um, Christianity, I felt incredibly vulnerable, mm -hmm. but we are. And faith is in what's to come and in him rather than in myself. And, and I, I'm working on that. Yeah. Um, and, and being transformed. I'm not there. I'm, uh, and I'm scared a lot and things like that, but that's, um, that's what I'm working with. Yeah. So here's my, here's what I wrestle with in, in the, I, I can talk a big game about this. This is in the, this feels very much in the Anabaptist stream of the church, right? Like this is the sort of you're, you're faithful where you are. You don't worry about big picture stuff. And, and that's my, that's actually my, um, my family background, both sides of my family were yep, yep. Um, Mennonite brethren. Both it's interesting of... you're saying that because I'm moving in that Mennonite direction in a way. Yeah. Um, as I'm working with this, um, so here's, and this, this locating from the major things of society in some ways, yeah, because they don't give much hope. So here's, here's the, the challenge. And that's, I mean, even thinking, so my, my grandfather, uh, didn't were from, from Canada. He didn't fight in world war two. He was a pacifist. And so he, did forestry work in, in British Columbia. Right. Right. Um, and you know, th that that's kind of a cool pedigree. Like I like that. I like that. Right. I would be sad if nobody from Canada or the United States fought in world war two, I would be sad if that had not happened. Um, I, I like, I like that Anabaptist countercultural witness throughout European history. I would be sad if William Wilberforce didn't take on the transatlantic slave trade. So how do we, how do we take that sense, especially if you have access to change things? Part of the reason, I mean, going all the way back, let's go pre-Christianity in Europe. Um, the the great persecution of Christians under, I want to say Diocletian. It's been it's been almost a decade since I I finished my history of Christianity degree. Um, was worse in the Eastern Church than it was in the West, partially because, and again. Uh, if, if I'm remembering correctly, part of it was because there had been a fair number of, um, of prominent women in Western Roman imperial society who had converted and they had put pressure on their husbands not to persecute Christians in the West. So the persecution of Western Christians wasn't as bad just prior to Constantine as it was in the East because people with influence and people with access were able to exert their influence for good. So I actually, I heard this very thing once at a, at a conference, um, David Fitch, who's a, a sort of, he's Anglican adjacent. He keeps showing up at Anglican events, but he's this sort of neo right. kind yeah, of guy, yeah. right? Um, he's close with Scott McKnight. And he was sort of pitching this real strong, very local Anabaptist style politic. Um, and, and, and that's appealing, but someone gave pushback and said, well, 
But but if you have neighbors who are really hurting and you could make a difference for them, but you choose not to out of it, like, uh, do, do you see but, what I'm getting at it? It's hard to know what, what that looks but, like. But that's not what I'm getting at. Okay. Since if I have neighbors next to me who are really hurting, then I think that's probably part of my spirit, my my section of the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, wherever, uh, what I'm saying, I can't change national politics necessarily. I can't call up um, President Biden and say, hey, you need to do this. Yeah. But that's not my wall. My neighbor next door is. Um, uh, in, in my law firm, my employees are my wall. My family is my wall. My church is my wall. Um, uh, the guys down at Metro that know me by first name because I lose yeah. everything, part of my wall. And, and so, so, and if your wall's bigger, you know, I don't, there are generals, there are lieutenants, yeah. there are sergeants, there are privates. Yeah. My wall is private and I do a private's job, then it's well done, good and faithful servant. So, yeah. And it strikes me that that even thinking biblically, Esther doesn't doesn't try to get herself into that position. Um, and it even makes me think I'm having lots of connections here. There's a terrific section. Did you listen to any of um, Esau Macaulay's Disruptors podcast? No, I didn't even know they existed. So I, he did. I absolutely loves Esau, and and, um, and I've met him, but I have not listened to his podcast. Okay, so he did. They were two seasons. It was like IVP and Christianity Today. Um, but there's one episode that I loved because it was him. It's in the second season. He interviews Beth Moore and they talk to each other. Oh, interesting. And they're just, they're both like delightful. Um, but both of them describe being in the places they are, not out of self-promotion, but it just right. kind of happened, right? right? And that both right. of them actually prefer doing, like they they love the, the face-to-face thing. I mean, Beth Moore loves her little Bible study or whatever. And there's something that's, ad- not to sort of put these two particular figures on, on a pedestal, but the idea that, um, some of the people who have bigger platforms that I respect right. have not have not sought them out, but have found themselves in their own faithfulness to have been given something different. Or even and, out of their weakness, God said, I'm just going to choose, you know, in his providence, he's like, you are going to have this. Um, and then they have to choose to be faithful with what whatever they have. Maybe that's the that's the aim is to be open to being placed wherever God puts you. I, I think that's I think that's right, and and uh, you know, so we were talking about you and what it is to be a preacher, and how you can either self promote through your mm-hmm. preaching, how smart I am, look how much I know, look how, or you can bring the word, and and try to be creative, obviously, because you want to engage your your um, parish, mm-hmm. not do it in a way that says, you know, I'm I'm really really, <laughs> or or I really know how to write a good sermon or, or whatever. Um, and, and that's the difference. The same actions, same everything, maybe even the same words, but the, the motivation can be different. You you used a word here that's become in in my um, Advent thoughts has become preeminent, and and hope and faithfulness are connected. Yeah. Uh, so so think about it for a second. Um, what's the opposite of hope? Probably would be despair, right? Yes, I, I or a form of it, and 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 um, I think we were talking a little bit about cynicism, but but I think the opposite of hope 
is that cynicism which really says why bother yeah it, it's it's hopeless i it, it's not going to make any difference um and so i've been at the other and and that kind of attitude destroys faithfulness if it just eats away at your your ability. What what I see um, in the ending of the age, what John and Paul in particular are calling for, and so is Jesus, um, is faithfulness at that end of the age when there is such an onslaught against um, God and against his church. Um, And so one of the things that I'm hoping and believing that my gifts are is to encourage faithfulness. To, so, so when I hear about Bruce's journeys through the scriptures and, and the struggles that he's had um, and his struggle for faithfulness, it just it excites me because that's where we're all at. We're all fighting and, and there's so many things that are working against us. But, you know, we're called to be faithful to him. And that, mm. that's that first love. So that's, that's my adventure in, in Advent this year was, was through these, these ideas. I think that's great. Yeah. And I think, you know, there, there's some ways we're, we, we got a timestamp this. We're recording this on January 28th because who knows when you're listening to this, there are obviously some very particular ways in which our church is in a season of waiting. Um, yes. That are very, they're very time specific to, to right now. Um, but in some ways, we're all we're all still. I mean, the, the reminder of Advent every year is that we're still waiting. Is that there's a way in which we're waiting, and maybe that encouragement to faithfulness is, <laughs> don't just sit at your window and wait for the package to arrive, but but be be doing whatever you're supposed to be doing. Um, yeah. So so my question then becomes: in this season, exactly that question for everyone in our church. What's your calling in our church right now. I, I think one of mine is to encourage people. Um, it's a pretty discouraging time. Um, and, but, you know, every one of us has a calling and a gift. And I've heard so many comments about why people love all souls. And what comes through that so often is the different gifts that are displayed. So, but, you know, in a, in a time like this, people can just kind of roll up and curl up and and not shine because because it's hard and it hurts and everything like that so so i i guess my hope is to stay in there to hang in uh and encourage where i can for us to be faithful to what god's given us all right i'm looking up here i'm gonna try and find a collect to close us here but i think i'm gonna try and find the collect from that week in advent and we'll use that as our as our helpful reminder here, let me scroll through. You know, sometimes it's helpful to have digital copies of the prayer book, but sometimes it's hard to search. Okay. Well, uh, let me close here then with a, it's the collect for the, we'll do the collect for the first Sunday of Advent. Let's pray. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light now in the time of this mortal life in which your son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Rich, and thanks everybody for listening.